Welcome to the Mini Culture Podcast, a show that explores the untold stories of Minnesota's past and present. I'm your host, John Gibertatios. In 1898, a farmer dug up a stone engraved with a Nordic language in a field in Kensington, Minnesota. People have been arguing about it ever since. Defenders of the stone say that it proves Nordic explorers made it to Minnesota in the year 1362. The stone's detractors point to the fact that the stone is obviously a hoax. And yet, after multiple rounds of debunking, the lore of the stone persists. What's behind this unwavering belief? What do we gain when we lean on folk archaeology? Or, more importantly, what do we lose? KFAI's Matthew Schneeman explores these ideas and more. Most people visit Alexandria, Minnesota for their lakes, over 350 according to the city's website. But when you drive into town, what you might notice first is not references to water skiing or canoeing, but Vikings. Okay, we just rolled into Alexandria. I want to count how many things are named after Vikings. This is Viking Viking Plaza. Viking Bank. The Viking references aren't just to the region's Scandinavian heritage, but Viking history. Not far from here is where the infamous Kensington Runestone was found. Named after the small neighboring city of Kensington, Minnesota, the stone now rests in the county seat of Alexandria at the Runestone Museum. You think it's legit or not? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. Yeah, I guess that's what I learned reading in the history books. And don't no even idea. care. Don't even care. It's possible that they could have come here. I think they think it's real. What do you think? Haven't researched enough to give an answer, I guess. I just don't know that I'm sold on the idea that they came all the way here. The Kensington Runestone. In a sentence, a stone was found that showed Nordic explorers made it to Minnesota in the 1300s. At least that's the takeaway you're meant to get when you visit the Runestone Museum. Hi. In the museum, there's a delightfully dated 1990s video recreation of the discovery. Okay. Music began and the title appeared on the screen. This is it, the legacy of the Kensington Runestone. Today, we're gonna to talk about that legacy. But did the Vikings penetrate the heart of the continent? Did they continue their westward march? The runestone is a thing, but it's also an idea. The thing has been debated for over 120 years, but the idea, not so much. It's an incredible story. On the stone, it is written, We are eight Goths. No, many culture did not commission a choir to sing the inscription of the runestone. It already existed. History Theater debuted in May of 2020, Runestone, a rock musical. But before we get to that, let's finish what it says on the stone. Basically, a group of us Norsemen were out here exploring, and one day, while we were fishing, we were out and fished one day. We found 10 of our compatriots dead. Dear Lord, save us from evil. It's some intense stuff. I would make a good play. I was able to interview Mark Jensen, who wrote the book and co-wrote the lyrics for 
Runestone the Rock Musical. You know how long it took for me to realize there was a pun in the title? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, we have to credit Ron Peluso, the director, artistic director of the History Theater, for coming up with that. I was excited to interview him and prepped a little untraditionally. We're starting off with my surprise. Oh, your surprise. See the stone, come on, come on, come on, and Cool. Yeah, that's one of our big songs. <laughs> Mark grew up in Kensington and has been formally thinking about this story for decades, reading all about it and interviewing locals with ties to the original people involved, like his grandpa. I actually lived about two and a half miles away from where the runestone was found. And so my grandfather knew Olaf when he was a young farmer. Olaf was an older farmer. So he always said Olaf was honest. But my dad, he, he thought it was a hoax. So the joke has always been that I came from a mixed marriage because my mom thought it was real and my dad thought it was a hoax. Now let's do the timeline. It's a wild ride and I understand why Mark wanted to dramatize it. It was discovered in August of 1898. By farmer Olaf Ullman. His young son actually found it while they were clearing a field. So the story goes, of course. It gets put on display at a bank in Kensington and word gets around. Mean, and meanwhile, it, it is a sensation. I mean, there, there is actually little blurbs about the runestone all over the world. But then the academics weigh in and give it varying degrees of a thumbs down, including from a head runologist at a university in Norway. And he looked at this and said, what's going on? And so immediately, if he dismissed as a hoax and said, I, I want to ask this farmer how he, how he carved it. And then it's all over. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Schneem, and this has been KFAI's Mini Culture. Just kidding. The story continues. But for the time being, it's all over, which may have been a welcomed relief, to Olaf at least. The kids were being teased. Edward got accused of, of sharpening the chisels. I mean, Edward, Olaf's son, who was just a kid at the time. You know, there, there's, there's a lot more hurt going on into this, this story than, than people realize. And so Olaf goes on with his life. He put the stone away. So anyway, it sat in his granary for 11 years, 11, 12 years. Until a man named Jalmer Holland shows up. He was writing a book about the history of the Norwegian immigrants that came to West Central Minnesota. And of course, they said, well, you got to look at the stone. So anyway, there's, they have this scene in the musical, and, and he sees the stone, he's convinced it's real, and offers to buy it from him. We don't For really... five dollars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you heard that song. But my stone, it is worth so much more. Olaf will later say he only lent the stone to Holland. Not the first time the family will be misled by outsiders. Holland then takes the stone on a world tour to get it some legitimacy. And he does, but he also gets a lot of detractors. But to the detractors' chagrin, Holland popularizes the rune stone. It makes it to our state capital, and eventually... The, the high point of the stone, though, was it was on display at the Smithsonian Institute from 1948 to 1949. With this new attention and legitimacy comes higher scrutiny and a drama worth making a musical 
about unfolds. But I'll condense the story here. Holden attracts a nemesis of sorts who, with others, finds new evidence that makes Olaf look like he in fact planted the runestone as a hoax with the help of an accomplice. Mark doesn't ignore that evidence, but he argues that it was out of character for Olaf to have carved the stone. Perhaps it was a hoax, but planted by someone else. Either it's a hoax Olaf carved, it's a hoax that he found, or it is what the stone says it is. So those are the three realities. I think the, old, the least likely is that Olaf carved it. Regardless, it looks like the Kensington runestone is debunked. But it keeps on surviving. Even in the modern era, I wouldn't say damning, but embarrassing things have happened to discredit the runestone. Let's, let's finish the timeline. In 1985, I'm born. Pause for applause. <laughs> um, a couple grad students. Some grad students, as a joke, make their own runestone, and they plant it in a field, a slough, close to where the original runestone was found. Then, in 2001, it's discovered, and runestone advocates get excited and they claim they've found further proof that the runestone is legit. The grad students, now professors, come clean and reveal their hoax. What do you say to the fact that the Runestone Museum endorsed it without being open to the idea that it was a hoax? Well, again, you see, find something that helps validate it. I mean, people are going to be excited about it. Yeah. I, so, I mean, like, they don't have the same standards as, like... Well, it's... Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? At this point in time the stone had stopped being a debatable artifact and had turned into an idea, a symbol, a really big symbol. Here I am underneath Big Ollie. Across the street from the Runestone Museum in Alexandria stands a 28-foot-tall, over 7,000-pound sculpture of a Viking named Big Ollie. Uh, it says he's 28 feet tall, but when you look up, all you know is he's just a big... Guy. In 1968, after the stone had been debunked for most, Big Ole was sent to accompany the rune stone to the Minnesota building at the World's Fair in Chicago. On Big Ole's shield bore the phrase, birthplace of America, a troubling statement because it associates America not with the formation of the U.S. government, but the arrival of Europeans. In that context, the rune stone can symbolize something dark. But for Mark, it's about his community and defending it. You have all these people that come to Kenston and they layer all these other things on, on, on our, my community. And it's, 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 been, it's been a tough, tough time for a lot of people when those kinds of things happen. For Jalmer Holland, it was just about legitimizing the larger Scandinavian community. Even those grad students thought they were sticking up for science, a scientific community. Everyone thought they were in the right. But in all this back and forth, people lost track of another community. The ones already here. Could you introduce yourself? Just name and title? Sure. I am Samantha Odegaard. I'm from the Upper Sioux community near Grand Falls, Minnesota. And currently I work as the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer. A Tribal Historic Preservation Officer is a consultant who is called in whenever a federally funded project is proposed on Native homeland. We've spent about 10 minutes or 120 years, depending on when you start counting, debating the veracity of one artifact. One artifact found in an area bursting with native history and burial grounds and actual artifacts. 
I wanted to talk to her about how it seemed like, in the Runestone story, Native history was sidestepped. She said it was worse than that, that it was often denied. Specifically, I'm referring to Native burial sites. One of the things that happened with part of dehumanizing and disconnecting Dakota people from the land is pushing this concept that these sites, they're not, they weren't ours. And part of that is uh, disconnecting us from the thousands of burial mounds that were visible across the entire state or across the region. One prominent example of this is Indian Mounds Park in St. Paul. The name may be changed to something more appropriate in the future. Even up until the last couple of years, some of the public information, the signage, would still follow that belief that these mound builders from 2,000 years ago are not the Dakota people or their ancestors, that it was a more advanced, that term is actually used, that it was more and a more advanced group of people. They were too sophisticated or too knowledgeable to have been the Dakota people that they were seeing today. This may sound familiar. In Cambodia, it was denied that Angkor Wat was made by the Khmer people, or more famously and ridiculous, that aliens made the pyramids instead of Egyptians. Our local example is a little less dramatic, but in the same family. Samantha told me about how when the Twin Cities were being settled, military artist Seth Eastman painted the Dakota people using the mounds. The image that you're referencing is Seth Eastman's drawing or painting of the village of Kaposia, which is known to be the, the, a village for Little Crow. And in that, you can see a scaffold up on top of the hill. It's an air burial where they're put up on this platform until their bones are cleaned. And then they collect the bones and they're, they're interned into a burial mound. So that, that right there, to me, is proof that that was still being utilized as an sem- active cemetery. Native burial grounds are always treated differently. In 2001, when the second runestone was found, archaeologists were hired to search the area for more artifacts. An article from the Associated Press describes it as, quote, Team members hoped the archaeologists would find evidence of human activity in medieval times. They did not. They found two quartz flakes probably chipped from arrowheads and other evidence of Indian habitation, but no clues of early Norsemen. Notice how native people weren't included in the statement, human activity in medieval times. The rune stone, if I could. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to the actual topic. Back. Yep. Well, the the well, it's all it's very related in the sense that the runestone is this fantasy of saying Scandinavians were destined to be here because they were here in the 1300s. The fact that you use the term destiny made me think of you know the the widely known idea of manifest destiny that was a strong belief within American history and. There's a painting that refers to it of this, this like angel figure in glowing white and bringing blight mm. and infrastructure and, and settlers across America heading west. And the figure is like really big, right? Yep, she's really like, big. Almost and, like a giant. Yep, and, bef- and oh. she has like the railroads and everything coming behind of her and in front of her it's dark and you have the native people are riding off and the buffalo are being chased away that reminders of that and this idea that people have this God-given right to someone else's home, 
someone else's ancestral lands. What does Manifest Destiny actually look like? In 1860, there were 172,000 people in Minnesota. By 1910, there were 2 million. With one-fourth of the population being foreign-born. Alexandria was founded in 1858, though abandoned in 1862 during the Dakota War, an uprising that was the result of forced relocation and the starvation of the Dakota people. After this war, many native people were pushed further out of Minnesota, and white settlers came rushing back to Alexandria. This was helped by the security of a U.S. Army stockade that was in place till 1866. Not to mention the Homestead Act coming into full swing. It was in this context that Alexandria grew as a city. Lakes that once were chosen as a sacred place to bury someone were now beautiful places to build houses and many people were dug up in that process. It's easy to look at the history and denounce our actions, our being white Minnesotans. But as frustrating as it may sound, today Alexandria is just a growing town trying to draw in business, which is ultimately why the runestone is still a thing. And that may sound frustrating to native people whose ancestral homeland is there, but that's exactly how it should sound. And unfortunately, Alexandria's historical context isn't unique. I talked with Thalen Zimmerman, a reporter for Echo Press, who grew up in Kensington and lives in Alexandria. I asked him what he noticed as a reporter, opposed to just growing up there. You know, if there's a new business that pops up, um, you know, People on the outside will see that and be like, oh, it's a new business. But someone, from my perspective, I mean, I've, it's been reported on or it's been, um, people have been looking into it and interviewing people involved in it. I think looking at, look, walking down the street, I could see more of that. I can see or understanding the decision process, that how that got there. And one thing that helps open these new businesses, helps Alexandria grow, is tourism. Thinking of the museum as something that's important to bring tourism it makes me feel kind of different about attacking them for essentially promoting a hoax. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand it. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's important <laughs> to the city. I should add the museum is not run by the city. You know, I may think it's kind of, yeah. I don't know, ethically murky. I'd say definitely. I mean, I don't know um, the numbers on it, but the tourism plays a huge part of it. It's hard to blame Alexandria for leaning into their Viking iconography. A town doesn't really get to pick what they're going to be known for. I doubt Austin, Minnesota would have picked Spam as a tourist attraction. But like Spam, the context and history behind the runestone is important. Spam came from U.S. military jingoism. The runestone, what does it mean? Well, it means something to a lot of us. It fills a gap in the white Minnesotan backstory. I happen to think this is bad, but Mark, writer of Runestone, a rock musical, he sees it more positively. What, what I think people are, are missing here is, is, is um, you have immigrants coming here to the U.S. and, and um, they're trying to establish an identity here in the U.S., much like immigrants are today. So I think if it's a hoax, it's, it's about saying, hey, we belong here. Okay, we belong here. It's not. It's not about. You know, we can't. We gotta be careful of putting a modern spin on on what you're saying there with 
with race. I think it's more about we're immigrants. We want to be a part of this country. Yeah, but I mean, not a modern spin. In 1898, that's not too many years away from the Dakota War. That's, oh, yeah. That's during yeah, but, but reservations. Again, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the we belong here, I think, is it's a beautiful thing, but also it was an awful thing, the presumption that we belong here to do whatever we, we want. Oh, I don't think, no, no, I, I think you're taking it too far. I don't think it's that at all. Well, I, I mean, mean, it's true that there's a museum for the runestone, but like in the native section, they have some like moccasins and stuff, uh, but they don't have stuff on Douglas County and how Alexandria wasn't, didn't become a big town until the they had a military outpost put there, you know. The museum may have included that history, but it wasn't front and center. Also, the Runestone Museum declined an interview for this piece. We have to become more sensitive to what has created America. And, 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 and my point is, if it is a hoax, it's not about imperialism. It's about a group of people you know, wanting to be a part of this country. And it's not taking it any further than really that. Mark told me the stone is like a mirror. It reflects back to you what you want to see. I see something dark in it. But he sees something quite beautiful. Growing up in Kansas, that was, it was about Olaf and defending him and, and, mm. and that he was an honest man. That, that's the crux of it for me. How do, you, how do you show, how do you close the musical with Olaf's story? You know, the different people accusing you of things, the different theories all get dramatized until we get to the end where what is this? We don't know what it is. Who do you say, think I am? Who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? Am I, am I a crook? Am I your sheer genius who carved a spiteful lie because he wanted to confound? Am I a bumpkin? Who do you think I am? Am I an honest man? A simple, sweet bumpkin, no smarter than his shoe, who pulled a runestone from the ground. We end on that. That's the question. I can be the man who fits your theory, even though I grow so very, very weary of your endless questions. Before, I was just like, this is silly. These Alexandrians are, are like, what the hell? How can you have a big sculpture that says birthplace of America? But now I'm a little bit more understanding of just kind of the hustle a small town uh, has to do. So that's just kind of what I'm working through right now. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear me speak that rationalization? Samantha Odegaard, Tribal Historic Preservation Officer. You know, I try to be a very level-headed type person that, that thinks about things and understand things. So uh, in that concept, I can understand it. People are looking for a way to connect and have a sense of pride in who they are or where they're from. But <laughs> it is difficult to hear. It is annoying or at, at the very least, or in some ways it's something that angers me, um, depending on my mood of the day. Mm. And 
I, I don't know if this will be a good thing to say on there, but also I, I pity them in a way that they have to search so hard for some sense of connection. Made me think of that video that was shown at the Kensington Runestone Museum. Touch the in the past, still only partially understood. They have to work so hard to try to feel it, make their home or their where they're living and their their town relevant. Yep. We have our own legacy to prove it with the Kensington Runestone. How do I connect with, you know, I am a Minnesotan without erasing Native history. It's kind of a riddle that we haven't been taught um, as white people to, to solve. And I don't know if I have the answer to that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Here it is. I suppose it's my riddle to solve. When I went to the Kensington Runestone Museum, I had this odd feeling. Even though I thought the stone was a fake, it still had this incredible historical value to me. Like, it's more meaningful as a hoax than as an actual artifact. Because if it's an actual artifact, that means that in 1300, some Vikings kind of like stopped by, got in a fight. But as a hoax, it explains a lot. How we believe what makes us comfortable and pass over the bad bits. Things like why we love Paul Bunyan, even though he chopped down almost all of our old growth pine forests. How caribou coffee was founded here, don't you know? But caribou have left Minnesota due to habitat loss. How we're proud of Charles Lindbergh up until he embraces the Third Reich in 1938. The hoax explains why Minnesota pride, to me, often feels a bit saccharine. The Kensington Runestone gives my people a reason for being here. Olaf Ullman dug up that stone in a field in 1898 but he wasn't the only one looking for it. And it certainly wasn't the only thing there. For KFAI, I'm Matthew Schneeman. Music for this piece was done by Dawview and me. Thanks to Gary Rue for supplying demos from Runestone, a rock musical to us. Proper recorded versions of those songs will be coming out later this year. Support for Mini Culture on KFAI has been provided by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Season 7 of the Mini Culture podcast is edited and executive produced by Julie Sensulo. New episodes coming soon, so subscribe to Mini Culture wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, John Gibertatios, and thanks for listening.